instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power. By me kings reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me princes govern, and nobles, all who rule on earth. And then Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your, health, with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord dis disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son who delights him. Thank you very much. Do keep uh, the, your eyes on those passages. We'll be pointing them out as we go uh, through. Uh, if you're new to CC, this is a kind of a different way of approaching uh, God's Word that we've, we normally would be taking one singular book and we've worked through it kind of verse by verse, section by section. The reason we do that is because we don't want to obscure God's Word. We don't want to say, I'm going to pick and choose. There's a poor way of looking at any literature, just saying, I want to take that verse out of its context. And therefore, we, we generally will take a whole um, book, a whole letter, and we'll examine it in its context, you might say. So we get the theme that runs through it. We don't manipulate the words as we want to hear them, rather we hear God speak to us through them. But what we're going to do here with uh, Proverbs is we're not going to go through it systematically. It's not written actually in that way. It's a poetic book, and therefore it, it comes together. It has sections but we're going to, if you look, look at it thematically to begin with, before we begin to look at it systematically as we go through it uh, with its themes and its topics. That's where we're heading uh, over the next four weeks. So let me pray as we begin. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us, the Bible. And wherever we are at here today, whether we sit here very cynical, critical, expecting to expose folly and and. Uh, inaccuracies and so on. I pray that wherever we're at, whether we're very sympathetic, whether we're longing to hear you speak or not, that you would in your great kindness and your mercy as we open up your word, as you promise in your word that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would be working even to soften the hardest of hearts. We recognize that has been all of us at some point in our lives, and we pray that all of us today would be receptive of what you would have to say. Amen. 
We live in uh, London, and it is an amazing place to live, isn't it? Uh, it is the most popular city for tourists in Europe. Migrants probably also. Uh, it, 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 I love this stat. London has more American banks in it than New York does. That's a brilliant thing, isn't it? We can claim that. It also has the... This is a, a kind of train thing. I like trains, but it, it has the largest underground train network in the world. Now, we're soon to be outdone by one of the great uh, cities of China, but for the moment, we can hold that one up and say that we are that. We have the busiest art gallery in the world for Ali artists here. The Tate Modern is still the busiest in the world. You see, in the world, London is this great centre, isn't it? of finance, of art, of culture, uh, of business. It still vies for the, most co- the coveted title of the most influential city in the world. And it kind of flips back from New York to London, New York to London, year on year. And I wonder, when you moved here, do you remember how you pronounced that to your friends? It's not like, oh, I'm shifting to the Cotswolds. You know, it's like, I'm going to London. There's a sense of superiority, isn't there? Hey, look at me. Look at my postcode now. I I see Wimbledon from from upstairs. There's a sense, wow, look at me now. I've really landed. London is an amazing place, isn't it? It's a huge privilege to live here and to work here. And I guess just over the news over the last few weeks, in seeing the mass migration across Europe right now, it, it surely must humble us. It surely must help us see with perspective that we are incredibly privileged to live in the circumstances in which we do, in the security in which we do. We may at times bemoan the lack of green spaces as we look at the postage stamp that we like to call a garden, uh, you know, in comparison to friends elsewhere around the world and in the country. And we look at the size of our houses when our friends are living in this, we're living in this. And, you know, we look at our mortgages and we've got that and they've got this. And, you know, we can bemoan all sorts of facts about living in London, but we exist in a place which really is the envy of the world. We know London isn't the perfect utopia. It may be the centre of art and culture and business and finance, but it it can be, and we know this, it can be a very tough place to live, a very lonely place to live. It can expose and it can punish us like few other cities. It is relentless in its busyness. And that is why into this reality, I guess all of us search for wisdom at times, don't we? How are we going to plot a path? How are we going to live a life in this great city? We need help, wisdom, as we tread the path that we tread. Whether that's in relationships, in love, in work, in family, all sorts of places. We need wisdom. And I think we all recognise our need for wisdom as we live in London. Unashamedly, therefore, over the next four weeks, we're going to be, if you like, plumbing the depths of God's wisdom, speaking into our context, living in London. And his wisdom is found in his word, the Bible. It is wisdom that practically speaks to you and to me today. We're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs, which I've said already. It's a book which is part of a collection of books that sits pretty much, if you open up your Bibles, right in the centre. Uh, it's a collection called the Wisdom Literature. Proverbs is, a, is poetry in its original form, in, in the Hebrew language. 
Many think it was written actually as a manual for young men as they, as they grew up, as they were kind of re- going from childhood to, to adulthood. It was written for them so that they would be wise to take on life, to live life in the context that they were. The, the reason we think it was written to young men is because of the repeated references to my son in the early chapters. But also, because as wisdom is personified, and we'll look at what that looks like later, as wisdom is personified, it it speaks of it as a woman. And that points us, scholars believe, that that points us in direction saying, this is a manual for young men as they're heading out towards adulthood. More importantly, though, the book is to be read, I think, and we see continual uh, phrases which point us this direction. It's, It's to be read in community. And it's in, in, in its entirety as well. It's structured that way. If you were to take uh, just one particular proverb, one particular line of wisdom and isolate it, you could do all sorts of things. It, it wouldn't be wise to do that. It's written in a way that says you don't take one chapter, you don't take one verse, you take it in its entirety and you do it together. You speak wisdom to one another as we grow in our knowledge and our love of God. The early chapters, you see, the problem is if you just isolate them, they're very black and white. They're idealistic in some way. Yes, they provide a pattern, as a father speaks to his son, of wise living. But as we know, life doesn't always pan out as we imagine, does it? We experience a messiness in life, in relationships, in families. You know, people let us down. We find loved ones become ill. Life is not black and white, is it? So the later chapters, you see, they they move from that kind of idealistic model of chapters kind of one to nine. uh, And there's a big dose of messy reality from from chapter 10 onwards. But the amazing thing is God speaks into that. He's not removed from the struggles of life. He's right there speaking in his love, wisdom. One commentator I was reading on this subject of wisdom, and I'm going to say this again and again, so if I sound like a broken record, I apologise. But I think it's a really helpful summary. It says this, wisdom is competence with regard to the realities of life. Wisdom is competence with regard to the realities of life. That is, wisdom is far more than just following a bunch of rules. You must do this, 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 and this. No, it's, it's far more than that. It's no less than that, but it's far more. Wisdom is being able to plot a course in life, making decisions every day that your moral standards which you live by just don't address. We'll examine more, more detail the definitions of wisdom in a moment. But for now, if you just turn to your sheets, you'll see a bit of an outline there. This is where we're going to be heading over the next few minutes. It's going to be fairly uh, quick in the way that we go through these passages. Firstly, I'm going to look at the value of true wisdom. That is, I need to demonstrate, we all need to demonstrate. Now, I want to show you it's worth it. Worth looking at wisdom. God's wisdom. Secondly, I'm going to look, show you the means of true wisdom. That is, I want to show us how to get it. Thirdly, the ends. If you like, the results. What to expect when you have God's wisdom. So the value the means the ends of true wisdom. That's where we're heading, okay? Let's dive in. Uh, first point. And we're here in chapter 8. It's printed on your sheets, uh, but it's also in your Bibles as well, if you want to turn there. We live in a world where everything and everybody and every moment in time has a value attached to it. 
all the bankers and the statos are nodding variously here. You know, the value of something to us, whether we should invest our time, our energy, our mind, our hearts into them, that value question, you know, what is this worth to me? It's often the very first question you ask, isn't it? Whether you do it out loud or just in your heart and your mind. What is this worth to me? Queuing in this queue, getting on that train rather than, what is it worth to me? We want to know, and as we approach the wisdom and literature of God, we want to know, is this wisdom of God, what is it worth to me? Turn with uh, me to that first passage. It's printed on your sheets. And just so you know, this, on your sheets is the, um, the newer version of the New International Version. Our Bibles here is the older version, the 1984. This is the newer version. I thought we, we'd kind of do a bit of a contrast and compare, because I think we'll be shifting to the new one uh, in the next uh, few months if we can. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, though, if you're there in your Bibles. But let's see the value of true wisdom. Why don't you turn just to verse 10 and 11, if you can, to begin with. It says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, God's wisdom here is extraordinary, isn't it? It's depicted as more precious, more important than, well, none of us can imagine these kind of riches, can we? More than anything that you can possibly imagine, wisdom is depicted as more precious than that. Now, personally, you may not be the materialist. You may not be thinking, you know, grandiose thoughts about the the possessions, the wealth, and so on that you might want to accrue in your life. That may not be you. But you would have to be blind to not spot how countercultural these two verses are. You recognize that, don't you? Footballers have been in the, in the press recently. I'm not a massive football fan, but you cannot have missed the recent transfer window and, and all the sort of goings-on of clubs trading players and the wages that they're now talking about. You know, the, the extraordinary wealth of some of these young footballers earning £250,000 plus, some over £300,000 a week. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The question is, is that enough? Oh, they can afford many rubies, many choice, you know, so much choice gold and silver. And you see it in the magazines, don't you? The bling as they, they take photos of their cars and their, their houses and their pools and everything else that they've got. But is it enough? The, stru- the extraordinary thing is that very, very few people indeed ever get everything that they want. They never get to the end of their shopping list. They never get to the end of their bucket list. That's a new phenomenon, isn't it? And if they finally do get to right to the end and they go, I've got everything I ever want, how, how difficult is it for that to last? Because the new model comes out, the new experience. Someone else gets more and they're thinking, I've got to, I've got to carry on. The list gets bigger. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The problem is you never have enough. People like that. And the problem is that they've, they've chosen without wisdom. They think other things can compare to wisdom if they accrue at that and that and that and that. That'll be it. But it's never enough, is it? See, the wisdom and the instruction of God here is depicted as more precious than the longest list. 
And interestingly, the writer, look at verse 11, he even turns to the, not just the, the quantitative, but the qualitative here, the, you know, the desires. Verse 11, nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom. See, some people can have all the money that you can possibly imagine. Some have talents. You know, they've got that X Factor. But if you watch X Factor last night, you'll see that that is not true. There was no one on that show last night. Oh, I'm not going there. But, you know, you get the point. Some people have, you know, just immense beauty, don't they? Some have great intelligence. And some have so much, and yet they go nowhere. They do nothing. And yet some people have so little. And yet they, they, they seem to achieve more than you can ever possibly imagine. Or any, they dared imagine as well. And what's the key? It's wisdom. There's no comparison with anything else. It's not just enough to have money. You will know, I've known many people who have so much money, and yet what do they do? They just, they lose it all. Throwing money at a life, throwing money at a family, throwing money at a crisis, for example. That is too simplistic. We can throw 150 billion pounds at the, the recent crisis, as we, I think, you know, 150 million we did recently, and it will never be the answer. It is a too simplistic view of life. It isn't enough to say, I have the money, or, you know, perhaps I have the moral principles that I can then, I can then spout, as some of the papers are. If only they were like this, if only people were like this, everything we find that's too simplistic. Or, you know, as a spouting out in Westminster a moment, I have this great vision for this country and for the Europe and the nations. It is too simplistic to say I have a great vision for this world and so on. How you live out those moral principles, how you kind of uh, do what you do with that vision, that's what matters. You need wisdom. You cannot just say, I have money, I have moral principles, I have vision, I am beautiful, I am talented, I am intelligent. You may be. But it isn't going to help you in life unless you adopt some wisdom. We live in a time that is more fraught with worry than any generation before, despite the fact that we have so much. Now, London is the most amazing place to live. We we acknowledge that. Uh, But we find ourselves and we see so many people around us turning to these things, wealth, intelligence, beauty, all of these things, believing that will be the antidote. And if you've been doing that, can I just gently ask, how is it working out for you? Do you trust God? And if you do, if you sit here today and you trust God, can I encourage you, as the Proverbs say here, choose his instruction. His knowledge rather than choice gold. His wisdom. Because nothing you desire can compare with her. See, the value of wisdom is given here. It's not defined, though. And that's frustrating in kind of monetary terms. Rather, a comparison is set up, isn't it? Whatever you value in life, whatever you have been valuing in life, it's family or whatever it may be, nothing in comparison. There is nothing in comparison to wisdom. As the passage progresses, we see uh, more a definition of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is then personified, which gives it a more personal touch and greater importance. Look at verse 12, uh, just very quickly for a moment. I, that is wisdom, dwell with prudence. That, that is good judgment in difficult matters and circumstances. 
Note here that wisdom is not the magic potion though. Or derived of a kind of a one-off special experience or encounter with God. We'll look at that more in a moment. But here we see it is born of knowledge, uh, of discretion, a, a kind of guarded care. Verse 14 we see uh, wisdom it brings an insight and a power. Insight because as we grow in wisdom we begin to understand things how they really are. With wisdom you are never ever shocked by people. By news, as you turn it on, you see the atrocities around the world. That should never shock you if you have wisdom. Oh, you'd be disappointed, but never shocked. When a friend or colleague lets you down, the wise will never say, oh, I didn't see that coming. With wisdom, there is insight. It's to know how things happen in the world, how people work in the world. And verse 15 shows that wisdom knows what to do. Look at what it... It's a very active uh, phrase here. You know, by me, by wisdom, kings reign. Verse 16, by me, uh, princes govern. See, those who are wise, they do the right thing, even when the rules don't apply. Or when the watching eye is removed. Which is what great leaders do, isn't it? As I said at the beginning, wisdom is competence with regard to the realities, the messy realities of life. So as you go through chapter 8, we see the value of wisdom. We see wisdom is beginning to be defined to a degree. But if you're anything like me, as I've studied this, I've looked through this over the last few months, you just begin to feel utterly exposed. You kind of go out and go, well, I just may as well give up. Because none of us have the wisdom that we desire. And it gets worse, I'm sorry. (laughs) It does. Go on to verse 22 uh, of chapter 8. If you're there in your Bibles, please turn to it. Can someone shout out a page number? Because I think it would be helpful if we... 642. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. We're in Proverbs 8. Just flip through to uh, chapter 8, verse 22. I'm not going to point you down, but please do read this when you get home. It's an extraordinary and very unique passage in the Bible. Verse 22 down to verse uh, 36. There we see this unique creation narrative. And wisdom, extraordinarily, is is depicted as being at the heart of creation. In verse 30, we see wisdom was constantly at God's side, rejoicing in his presence. Wisdom is being personified there to show its uh, importance. God is the great creator artist here. He creates everything, but he establishes everything in and through wisdom. And through that, we see this order. We see a pattern in creation. There is a way in which things work. We see that in creation. But then as as Proverbs goes forward into chapters 9 and 10 and following, we also see that in life. There there are principles, there are patterns, which the, the Proverbs point us to, saying that if you do this... If you live in this way, if you tell the truth, if you work hard, if you are faithful in your relationships, you will prosper, you will be blessed. There is an order, there's an order and pattern in creation, in chapter 8, in those last verses, 22 onwards, and also in life. There's a way things work. But all of us are thinking, well that is a far too simplistic view of life around me. Because there are also those people who cheat, who are unfaithful, who are deceptive, who tell lies all the time. 
and they get away with it. They even prosper. See, the value of wisdom as we go through it will be this. It is to recognise two things. Firstly, that there is an order. There is a right and proper God-ordered pattern in this world. If you live this way, this will happen a lot of the time. But secondly, we also have to humbly acknowledge that there are exceptions. That is, that life is messy. Some people will be, and I know some, are lazy, lazy millionaires. Some people will work hard all their lives and they will have nothing. But that does not undermine the the principle and the order of wisdom here in God's word. It's woven into creation in chapter 8, 22 following, and into our lives as well. I've gone over that very quickly. I'm sure there are many questions. We'll come back to those uh, later. But that is the value of wisdom. It is to have competence with regard to the realities of life and all its messiness. Secondly, and more quickly, the means of true wisdom. That is, how do we get it? Now, if you turn back to chapter 3, it's also on your sheets there as well. I went straight out of that passage this time. Chapter 3, verse uh, 1 to 12, page 637. What are the means to finding wisdom? I'm going to turn to a couple of verses which, if you, if you don't know them, uh, these are great words uh, to remember and put in your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, I would say acknowledge, but it's newly now. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. I don't know about you, but I love shortcuts. Don't you love shortcuts? Whether you're baking something, you're looking for a shortcut. I was showing a few people the other day. I was on computers. I like Apple computers, as many of you know. And I was showing them a few of the keyboard shortcuts. If you press this and this button. Oh, look, Tom's excited. That's the first time this morning. Uh, you know, he's talking about Apple computers. There we go. Um, as you are, you, know, you press this button and this button. And it can save you so much time if you know the shortcuts on your computer. It's very exciting to very dull people like me. But there we go, you know, shortcuts, we love them. I remember when I used to commute to work, I used to drive uh, from York down to Leeds, and um, I remember finding a road which I was so smug about, I felt that no one in the whole world knew about this road. And I thought, it was like I won a gold medal at the Olympics. I cut three minutes off my journey time, but I, I literally was running around fields at school, just going, yes, I'm the best commuter in the world. I was so smug about finding these shortcuts. People look for shortcuts in everywhere, don't they? Whether it's weight loss or career development, everywhere we look for the shortcut. And people do it with God, don't they, all too often? Oh, they love the idea of a God, a benevolent grandfather who will lovingly welcome them into heaven and glory for for eternity. And so they fabricate the shortcut where the burden is light and the cost to life is minimal. What about wisdom, though? Can we take some shortcuts here? Well, I'm going to take a shortcut and tell you straight. Excuse the pun. Wisdom is a path. I've nicked this uh, little phrase, but I think it's really helpful. Wisdom is a path and not a door. We get wisdom by walking a lifelong path, honouring God, submitting our whole lives to him. You don't get wisdom by suddenly just going, right, I'm going to open a door and, and, and having an experience or this encounter with God. We gain wisdom by the step by step, every day plodding, trusting God, verse 5, in everything. 
in every step of life, in every decision, in every action, we trust, we lean, we submit to his wisdom in everything. In that, wisdom never happens quickly. Every day, walking that path. Wisdom is doing the little things every day, those daily disciplines of coming to God in prayer, of reading, submitting ourselves to him and his word, reading his words. We like to call them devotions. Simply because in that we are trusting, we are leaning, we are devoting ourselves to God. And if you have not been doing your devotions, whatever time of the day, can I encourage you, you will not grow in wisdom if you do not. As you trust, as you lean, as you exercise wisdom in doing that, you also grow in wisdom because in doing that, your path is straightened here. You don't stray from the wisdom. As you lean, as you trust, what should you expect? What should be the process that wisdom takes? Let's delve into chapter 3. We'll see a few things. I think firstly and most obviously, you'll begin to know God better. There's a a process in wisdom. Look at verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you, the writer says. The love word there is the kesed word in the Hebrew, which is a covenant love, a binding love that God has established through his covenants towards us. The the faithfulness word is a synonym of that. Uh, Love and faithfulness never leave you. And the fact is we're to bind them to our necks, write them in our hearts. See, as we listen to God's wisdom, first and foremost, we will know God better because in his wisdom we'll respond in obedience by, by binding it to our hearts and our necks. Never letting it go. You'll know God better in the process of wisdom. You'll know yourself better as well. Look at verse 5. You won't lean on your own understanding. Very easy to do that, isn't it? Oh, I know how to get this sorted. I'm in this bit of a pickle. I'm in a bit of a struggle in a relationship at work. I'll get it sorted. I'm not going to lean on my own. As you trust in God's wisdom, you will not lean on your own understanding. Verse 7, you also, you won't be wise in your own eyes. In fact, if anything, over the next four weeks, you will begin, and I stand here, I, I, I even contemplated wearing one of those kind of dunces hats, you know, like as they did in the, the royal courts so many hundreds of years ago. You'll begin to see that you're actually quite a fool. See, wisdom is being in touch with reality. Aware of who you are, where you are weak, and where you continually fail God. There needs to be a ruthlessness, I guess, in the way that we examine our own hearts and our minds. We're not to blame others for who we are. We're not to blame our upbringing. Oh, I went through... No. Wisdom will expose the reality of you. So you'll know God better, you'll know uh, yourself better. I think you'll know your friends. You'll firstly know uh, who your true friends are and you'll know the reality of who they are as well. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. See, wisdom, as I said, is taught in a community. There is one, uh, an older, speaking to a younger here. In a community, in friendships. And the problem is that we live in such an individualistic culture. Uh, Verse 7 is surely a warning to that, though, to all loners. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Say, oh, look at me, I'm great, I've done this. No, you cannot do wisdom alone. True friends will be able to see who you are. You are unable to point out the flaws in yourself. That is why marriage is so brilliantly, painfully refining. If you're married, you know what that means. As people point things out to you. It hurts. But we need to say to each other, hey, my son, or whatever relationship it is, do not forget this teaching. You know, more about God, more about yourself, more about your friends. But you also know about the realities of life. Look quickly to verse 11 and 12. Again, I think they're very well known. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. They're shocking, aren't they? Wisdom up to this point in the chapter and pretty much the whole way through is, is being very positive. If you're wise, in verse 4, people will like you. In verse 8, they will be healthy. Verse 10, you'll prosper. Money comes into the picture. But that isn't a full old picture of life, is it? What about the tough times? See, verse 11 and 12 are pretty simple. God in his wisdom, he doesn't avoid suffering. Rather, as one scholar put it, he transforms suffering into wisdom. So we hear that instruction, and painful that it is, we must understand that God can and he will use our afflictions, the difficult times that you and I will go through in relationships with our children, our colleagues, work, whatever it may be. And he will do that to, lo- to lovingly refine and discipline us. C.S. Lewis famously said of uh, suffering and affliction, he said, suffering is God's megaphone to the world. And maybe it is to you in your life right now. But refining wisdom helps us understand these realities of life under a sovereign, loving Father God. And we're not to despise, that's what these words are saying, we're not to despise those trials, that typical British stiff upper lip passive aggressiveness towards anything and anyone. Likewise, we're not to resent God's providential hand and be bitter when things don't work out as we want. When we're single and we don't want to be. When children are struggling at school with friendships. Or you're suffering through illness. We're not to be bitter. Wisdom, how do we get it? What are the means to finding wisdom? It is a path. Plodding daily, step by step. It is not a door. There are no shortcuts. It is that daily trusting in God with all your heart. Leaning not on your own understanding. And as we do so... In wisdom, we will know God better, we will know ourselves better, our friends better, and the realities of life more clearly. So often, you and I, people around us, we look for these techniques to help us through life, don't we? we want, people come to me and say, what conference do I need to go to in order to sort this out? What book do I need to read to, to, to sort this out? There's no shortcut. I was buying school stuff for the boys this week down at W.H. Smith's. And they were looking at books and there was this whole aisle to do with self-help stuff. I was sort of looking at it and it's amazing. There are, there are books and books and books with techniques and how to change. You need to do this. You need to do that. Most of the books blamed everything and everyone other than looking at yourself. No blame was placed on the reader. You need to change your diet, your house, your job, your friends. They're all about changing stuff around you. And then life will be better. 
But the Bible says, I'm afraid it says this again and again in the book of Proverbs, you're the problem. You're the fool. You need wisdom and not a technique. You need to walk a path for life, not just a month. There's the value of wisdom, the means of true wisdom, the ends of true wisdom. Uh, look, I've got a minute, I think, um, and then I'm, yeah, I'm overdone. I'm sorry. The ends of true wisdom, very quickly. We've actually begun to cover this in and through chapter 5. Let me be very brief. Look at verse 20 for a second. The language is uh, pretty fruity here. But look at verse 20. Why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? See, what God's wisdom is challenging there is, is going against the wise, blessed order that God has placed in his creation. See, if you're married and you sleep with someone else, it isn't a consequence-less bit of fun, as people out there will tell us all too often. What God is saying here in this verse and, and elsewhere in this chapter is that to ignore his wisdom is to behave in a way that is alien to your true nature, as he has created Verse 21 and 23 spell out the consequences before God. But literally, let me just focus on verse 20 as we close. It literally reads this. Why be intoxicated with an alien wife? And the warning is, if you ignore God's wisdom, you're essentially judging yourself. You're acting against your true nature. And you will feel and you experience the consequences of that. Swimming with the boys on holiday, we had this odd conversation by, about why we couldn't breathe underwater and why fish couldn't breathe out of water. It's one of those things that you do on holiday as a parent. It's quite extraordinary. But simply put, if you're in water, a human being is in an alien environment to their normal respiratory kind of function. It is an alien environment. If we try and breathe underwater, we will drown. That's fair enough. We would not be being true to our nature. And likewise, if you ignore God's wisdom in relationships, in work, in life, you are not being true to the nature in which you've been created. And you will experience that alienation, both from your true nature, but also from God, as we see in verse 21 to 23. We'll say more about this as the weeks go on. And I've said probably enough at this stage, I think we're... We're probably sort of sitting there and going, whoo, three more weeks of this. I'm feeling fairly inadequate right now. Thank you very much. Why bother coming back? If you are feeling foolish, if you are feeling condemned, you are right to feel that. We could end there and we could pray. And we could carry on praying for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we would still be foolish. And we would still ignore wisdom all too often. I want you to turn as we've just finished here to chapter 30 of Proverbs, verse 4. It's an extraordinary verse. I read this on holiday and it, I nearly fell into the pool. These are the sayings of Agur, the son of Jekah, an oracle. And there's a conversation going on here. And he admits he's an ignorant man. I do not have man's understanding. I've not learned wisdom. It's a very... Pitiful end, if you like. 
But then he turns in verse 4 and says, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established the ends, all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is the name of his son? Surely you know. Tell me if you know. Long story short. His name is Jesus. The wonderful news of the gospel is that wisdom has come down. The man has come off the mountain of this, using Proverbs 30 language. We see a lot of that language appearing in John 3, if you remember the studies of a few years ago. Wisdom has not only been personified in poetry here in Proverbs, but also in history, in and through the, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, my friends, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you're missing out on God's wisdom. Wisdom is a person that you can know and love. And if you trust him, yes, he can make you wise because he's the ultimate teacher. He's the wonderful counsellor. He's the Prince of Peace. But more importantly, he is wisdom. He is the true wisdom of God. Trust him. Lean on him. Read about him. Take a, a gospel home. Write him on your heart. Bind him round your neck this week. He is unique, utterly unique. Because he says to us, I am wisdom. See, all other religions say, go and earn it. Go and find it. You are inadequate and you need to stack all the things up to make sure that you've got enough wisdom in order to get to your place, heaven, nirvana, wherever it may be. And Jesus says, uniquely, I am the wisdom of God. Trust me. Lean on me. Find wisdom in me. Come and find out more about Jesus, I pray. Let's pray together. Lord God and Heavenly Father, you are gracious and you are kind and you have provided for us uh, these wonderful books of wisdom in, the, in your word. Help us not to uh, abuse them. Help us to humbly come before them and learn to rejoice in the fact that you guide us, you care for us, you love us. And you've done so ultimately in providing the ultimate true wisdom personified in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we do not have to earn our wisdom to be with you in glory, but rather we need to trust in your wisdom, honour your wisdom in our lives as we look and lean and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.